Well, good morning. Great to have you here today. Um, you know, I've had a few people mention um, about the article that was in the paper today. Someone gave me this as well. Yeah, for those of you who don't get the record or if you haven't gotten it yet, just want to kind of call this to your attention um, and give it a yay God, yay First Baptist kind of moment. Um, because uh, they did an interview on the, on the uh, mission trips that we have had over the last month on the mission field. In fact, uh, Costa Rica was out there, then Haiti came back from the Living Water uh, mission trip, and now uh, on Friday night, the uh, medical team went out. And, um, you know, as they were interviewing um, some people for that and interviewed me, they, they said, well, how many trips have you taken? And I really had not counted up the trips that we had done, but we have over 11 trips that are going out into the mission field this year, right here from First Baptist. And uh, the bigger praise in all that is that 250 of you have either gone or will be going on those trips. That is amazing. That is terrific. And for some of you who maybe are not able to contribute by going on a trip, every time you place money in that offering plate, you are giving towards missions because the, the record, and I'm not sure if they put that in the article, but they asked me, how much does your church give towards missions? And we give over 13 to 14% towards missions. And so we want to just more than even tithe, we want to go over and above the tithe um, to sharing that with missions, missions overseas, missions in our community, um, to making a difference. And so thank you for the way that you give. Um, so appreciative of the record of doing a story like that. In fact, if you haven't read the article yet, the very last line says that we have signs here at First Baptist that says you are now entering what? The mission field, that's what you leave and that you go out into. And so, uh, yeah, just very appreciative how God used something like that to get the word out of what you are doing here on these church grounds. Um, as I thought about that and I thought about what that means, it fits perfectly in with this thought that we worship outside the walls of the church. And so that's what we are going to be talking about today, that kind of worship that we are doing. And so if you have your bulletin, if you would take that out. Um, you know, for the person maybe outside of church or who doesn't come to church very often, that might sound a little strange because they may think, well, aren't you supposed to worship inside church? Isn't that what church is for? Isn't that the place that you get, you know, spiritual? Yes, but no, because we want to worship even more outside of the church. You know, it might surprise you to know that Jesus didn't die inside of a church. In fact, Jesus didn't even die inside the walls of the city walls of Jerusalem. He died outside of the city walls. In fact, he died on a thoroughfare used as an example. The Roman government used crucifixion as an example of you don't want to mess with us. And so he died in a very busy place where people probably walked by and saw the people who, who were dying and, uh, by crucifixion on those crosses. Uh, today, if you go to Jerusalem, um, there is a church that commemorates it, which, which some people believe that that was the place where Jesus died. There's another place where many Protestants believe Jesus died, which today is actually just a bus stop and a gas station. That, that, that's where it is today of the place where many believe that Jesus died. And so I look at that and I thought, you know what? Yes, we're supposed to be spiritual inside of the church walls, but we're supposed to be even more spiritual outside of the church walls as a place where people can see. And I thought about that act of justification that Jesus did for us and thought, you know what? He did, he did that outside of the church in a very public place, which is also how we're supposed to live our lives. And so the reminder that we don't come to church to worship. 
we come already worshiping. We come having worshipped on Friday night. We come having worshipped on Saturday night. We come having worshipped on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. We worship in all different ways. Uh, Hopefully we're worshipping the right things. But honestly, there are people this week who have worshipped sports. There are people who have worshipped sex this week. There are people who have worshipped celebrities this week. There are people who have worshipped financial gain this week. There are people who have worshipped tortillas this week. Now, you say, how do you worship tortillas? More so than just eating them. Listen to this story. This is out of uh, The Ultimate Priority by John MacArthur. He tells the illustration of a woman in New Mexico. In fact, I Googled her this week. I looked this up. Um, in New Mexico, who was making tortillas when she noticed one of the skillet markings on one of the tortillas looked like the face of Jesus. And she showed it to her husband and to her neighbors, and they all agreed Jesus' face was burnt onto this tortilla. So, so here's the little picture of this. I'm not sure if you can see how far that is or if you can see, get a good view of that. Um, she takes this tortilla to be blessed by her priest... She uh, testified that the tortilla had changed her life, and her husband said, yes, she has been happier, more peaceful, and more submissive wife since the tortilla has arrived. (laughs) Men, don't be praying for a tortilla to arrive in your life, right? That's what you may want as well. Well, the reluctant priest blessed the tortilla. She takes it home, places it in this, like, this glass case, and here it is, puts it on um, cotton balls. Within the first few months, over 8,000 people had made the pilgrimage to worship at the shrine of the Jesus of the Tortilla. Funny thing is, everyone agreed that, yeah, it looks like the face of Jesus was burnt onto this tortilla, except one anti-religious newspaper reporter who thought it looked more like heavyweight boxer Leon Spinks. So, I don't know. Remember him? Remember Leon Spinks? Yeah, yeah. But to be honest with you, does anybody know what the face of Jesus even looked like? Not really, huh? And so we worship funny things. We really do. And you might say, well, my worship has not been that strange. Well, if your worship has not been given to God this week, then it is that strange. Because that's really the only thing that we are made to worship in a right way. And so the definition that we have been given to you is at the top of your outline. In fact, it's up here on the screen. And if you don't mind, would you read that with me? Okay, let's read it together. It says, worship is... Our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who He is and what He has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. So I really want to kind of hone in today a little bit on those last two lines which talks about by the things we say and the way that we live. And this is really where I've taken the whole worship value that we have, if you've been here over the last two weeks, and then today, that it's more so than just inside these walls. Now tonight, I hope that you'll come. Because there are such valuable things that happen when we do worship together. And we talked about that in the definition. It has that sense of personal and corporate worship. There is nothing like corporate worship. We hope that you will do that personally, but we also hope that you will experience that corporately with one another. 
And so tonight we're going to do that, but we've really been hitting on the fact that worship needs to go beyond just these walls. It goes out into the community that we live in and that we serve. In fact, you know what it's like if you just come here for one hour a week, worship, as we maybe define worship, and then go out and live the other 167 hours a week as though God doesn't exist? You know what that's like? That's a little bit like if you were married or in a serious dating relationship where the only day out of the year where you spend together is Valentine's Day. Where you, you know, you hardly speak throughout the whole year. You spend little time together. You just kind of coexist with one another. But Valentine's Day is the best day ever. You are taking long walks on the beach. You are sharing goals and your dreams and your aspirations. You have a candlelight dinner. You play kissy face. You are sharing with one another. You know, the I love you's, they just kind of follow in. It's Harlequin romance time. All of, and then on February 15th, it's back to you. Don't talk to each other. You're not, you just don't care about one another. I mean, that's a little bit what it's like if you were to come here for one hour during the week and then you leave and that hour doesn't do a thing for you. It doesn't make a difference. In fact, I kind of experienced this Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, i got to be honest, it's one of those days that, that, that scares me. Um, I'm not a very romantic kind of person. Um, and so the expectations out of Valentine's Day kind of freak me out sometimes. And Carrie and I kind of went through this a little bit when we were first dating and then, and then first married. Um, and then it's a whole other ballgame when you get kids, right? And uh, so we agreed a number of years ago. In fact, when our kids were, I think one of them was like six, eight months old, and then the other one was about two and a half, that we said, okay, no presents this year, just cards. That's, that's all we we're going to do. And so kind of, okay, no presents, just cards, no presents, just cards. I got it. I can do that. I can do that. Um, well, it came to be Valentine's night, and um, I hadn't done that yet. And um, we actually were down here at church, and there was something wrong with our internet at home. I still remember we had to come down here, and it was a Saturday night, and so I was preparing for the message for the next day, and there was something that I had to do on the internet, so we brought the whole family down, and it was one of those experiences that you just had to kind of laugh at, because they were in my office, and one of my kids was throwing up, and the other one had a piece of paper in front of her, and she was marking stuff, and all over the walls, and all over the paper, and all that kind of stuff. And so it was a very hard moment that my wife was kind of dealing with, and I was doing my work. But I decided, I have not made my card yet. So I kind of tried to, on the side, kind of make this card up for my wife. And so I found this little red piece of paper, and just kind of writing it up like this. And I'm giving it to her, and so I gave it to my wife, and she looks at me like, Haha, yeah, nice try, Right? <laughs> And I said, what? It's Valentine's Day. Here's a homemade card. And she gave me one of these, you know, trying to make me feel good moments. She's like, well, you know, that's okay. You show your love for me in all the other days and all the other things you do. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. It's Valentine's. Here's your card. It's a homemade card. It may have a little throw up stain on it. Sorry about that. But here it is. And she says, you know what? Really? No, that's okay. But when you figure this out, it'll make a pretty good sermon illustration for you. So, I think I figured it out. And that was, the card that I showed some of you last week was a card that I did later on in a relationship that was really a card that I expressed to her because I wanted to give that to her. At that time, I was giving her some sort of a card that I felt like I had to give to her. And the same sort of thing is true in worship. That I hope you do not come here on Sunday morning. Because this is what you 
have to do. Well, it's Sunday mornings, and, and now you go to church on Sunday mornings, and so here we are, we're in worship, and this is what we do. No. I would hope you would want to come because this is where God dwells in his presence and corporately we worship that together. And not only here does he dwell, but he lives with us every day of the week. And so we can take that same kind of worship and we can go. This is just though the, the dessert as we talked about a little bit last week. And Pastor Stephen mentioned that this is a time that we get to worship together. And tonight is kind of more like that. It's just kind of that dessert. In fact, it's going to be a feast tonight to get to worship together with one another. And so that true worship really gets experienced in that way when your words and your time together is matched with how you live your life after you experience this corporate worship. It's experienced in, in, in private worship, and then it's matched as you live that out in your everyday lives. And so let me give you one more definition of worship, and that is, it's just below the box on your um, outline, it's that true worship happens... When our affection is aimed by our attention and authenticated by our allegiance. Let me say that again. It's up here on the screen for those of you who hadn't looked up yet. True worship happens when our affection is aimed by our attention and authenticated by our allegiance. How we live our lives. Aimed at God solely given to God, but then it's matched by what we do and how we live our lives outside of these walls. And really, there's a great example of that in the book of Hebrews. And so if you have your Bibles, you'd like to open up to Hebrews chapter 13. The writer of Hebrews kind of gives us some wonderful thoughts of how this can be played out in our lives and what true worship is now. Hebrews chapter 13, let me read verses 15 and 16. It says, Through him, that is Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, let me just kind of break this down a little bit. You have it on your outline. The first thing I wrote down is that worship happens through Jesus Christ. That's what the writer there reminds us of. It's through Jesus. That's how we're able to approach God. You say, well, I'm not sure I get all that. Let me, let me take you back to 101. In the Old Testament, worship was done by a sacrificial system. And so if you were to offer forgiveness of sins, if you were to be back into a right relationship with God, you had to bring some sort of a sacrifice to give and to give to the Lord. It was an animal that was of great worth that was sacrificed to God. It wasn't just any animal, but it was your best animal and it was valuable to you. That's what you gave up to sacrifice. And because of that blood that was shed by that animal then, a holy God is able to be in relationship with sinful people. That blood covered the sin of those people. That's what is set up in the Old Testament. Well, as we now come to the New Testament, we see that that sacrifice is who? That sacrifice is, is Jesus. Jesus Christ becomes that animal sacrifice. He becomes that perfect spotless lamb that was given up to be sacrificed. Hear me. 
It was not some religious system that makes that sacrifice. It is only through Jesus. It is not through some tithe that we come to God. It's only through Jesus. It's not some sort of singing or some sort of chanting that maybe we do. It's only through Jesus. It's not even some mission service. If you're one of those people who went on the mission trip or is going on a mission trip, some 250 of you who are doing that, that's not how we have a peace and a relationship with God. It's only through Jesus that we have a sacrifice, that we have access to God through that. That's how we offer our praise. It used to be a sacrifice that we were given. Now it's through Jesus. And so our first act of worship in our lives is actually opening up our hearts to that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not, if you have not done that, then you're simply going through the motions. In fact, if you're just trying to kind of get into church or just kind of get back to church, you can sing all you want to sing. You can be the first one here. You can be the last one to leave. You can give him all the service that you want. You can lift up your hands during our corporate worship time and get that kind of that warm feeling. But unless you have committed your life to Christ, it's futile. It is absolutely futile because your words don't match your daily living. Your words or or your presence doesn't match a relationship with God and having him in your heart. Now, we value process around here at First Baptist. We don't demand, okay, if you come to our church, everybody's got to be a Christian. You've got to all be together. No. In fact, I hope there are many, many, many of you who are just exploring this right now and understand that but are taking steps. That's what we want to do. We want to help people take their next step in knowing Jesus and then making him known. And so when we have communion time, You'll often hear me say that if you are not a believer yet, if you've not given your life to Christ, don't take that communion because it's for the forgiveness of sins. And if you have not done that yet, then you don't have anything to commemorate. You don't have anything to remember. It'd be a little bit like if you were trying to celebrate some sort of an anniversary, but you're not married. It doesn't make sense. You're not doing that yet. And so that act is really commemorating and remembering what Jesus did for us. And for some of you here today, you need to take that first step. And Jesus really laid that out. He says, this is the access that you have to the Father. In fact, he says it in John 14, 6, where it says, and you can look up on the screen, it says, Jesus said to him, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except, read those next two words with me, except through me. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you want to have access to God the Father, you come through me. Now I'm the one who you worship through. I have been that sacrifice for you. That's how you live your life. And you cannot touch God's heart except through Jesus. Everything else is just a sense of duty. Like like, like the cards that you might make, if it's a sense of duty versus devotion, it's just a sense of duty. When you have Christ in your life, now it's a devotion. That could be your missing piece here today. Some of you here today are trying to find a peace in this world. It begins with knowing Jesus. Your first true act of worship is inviting Jesus Christ into your life, having a relationship with him, and then applying that relationship for the forgiveness of your sin and as a sacrifice of praise. Then songs, then words, then your thoughts touch the heart of God, but it's only through Jesus. And it's not just a one-time thing that we do either. It's a continual now act of worship that we give. In fact, that's the next point I wrote down on your outline where it says worship is a continual offering that we now bring. 
Let me read you the next part of the verse. It says, through him, that is through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And what that relationship with Jesus does is it gives us free access to worship God at all times. Here's the problem. You have an enemy that wants to convince you otherwise. You have an enemy. Satan is saying to you today, what? You? You can't go to worship. You can't worship God. Do you remember what you did this week? Do you remember the thoughts that you had? Do you remember what you said? Do you remember that act or what you did in your workplace? You can't go to worship. You can't stand before a holy God in the way that you are. Who do you think you are? Some of you are coming out of that. Some of you didn't want to show up here today because you're convinced that you cannot stand in God's presence here today. Folks, let me just remind you of this. All you have to do is mention the name of Jesus and Satan has no grounds to stand upon. Amen? Amen? In fact, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you simply remind him of his future. Okay? That's what you can do. Because we know where he's headed. And if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, then it is not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. That's the good news. That's what we want to know and feel and understand. And in the midst of that, as we are forgiven people because of what Jesus has done for us, as we have accepted him as Lord and Savior by faith, as we believe in his name, then God doesn't necessarily expect us to be sinless, but he does expect us to sin less. Get the point there? You don't have to be sinless. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus is the only one who is perfect. You don't have to be sinless. But we do need to learn how to grow and sin less. In fact, um, there's a great illustration of this in the book, In the Grip of Grace, Max Lucado shares about a monk um, and uh, an apprentice who are traveling from their abbey together from one town to the next. And uh, the two parted ways at the village gate as they came into the next town, kind of agreeing for what they needed to accomplish. And then they agreed that they would show up the next morning together and walk back to their abbey that they had been a part of. And so after the night was through and the next morning, they came back together and began to walk back to their village. And um, the older monk noticed that his apprentice was kind of a little bit distant and aloof. And so he asked the younger apprentice, he says, is there anything wrong? And the apprentice kind of looked at him and said, what business is that of yours? Kind of a terse reply. And so the monk was not sure what maybe it was troubling his brother. And as they continued to walk back, the wise monk just kind of took it in stride. And yet the apprentice fell further and further and further behind as they were walking. Finally, the wise monk turned around and with warmth of love in his eyes, looked at his student and said, tell me, my son, what troubles your soul. And the man or the young boy was going to again be kind of quick and just kind of put off the, the monk, but he saw the warmth and the love in his eyes and he broke down. And he said, I have sinned greatly. Last night I, I slept with a woman. I abandoned my vows. I'm not worthy to enter the abbey at your side. But the teacher put his arm around the student and said, Together, we will enter the abbey. 
In fact, he said, together we will enter the cathedral and together we will confess your sin. However, no one but God will know which of us was the one who sinned. And I look at an illustration like that and I think how powerful that we go before an almighty God and it's Jesus who stands beside us and says, Father, would you accept this person even with what they have done because I have forgiven them? Father, would you, would you allow them to be in that relationship with you because my blood has covered their sin? I mean, we're the ones who create the distance between us and God. When we do wrong, when we sin, we kind of feel like hanging back because we feel ashamed of that. It's Jesus who calls us up and says, no, come. We'll go before our Father together. You come by my side because what I have done for you allows you to be in relationship with God. And so I'm just encouraging you, don't let your shame keep you down. Get back up, confess your sin, get back to worship, get back to continually worshiping the Lord in your life. You're going to fall down, it happens. The key to the Christian life is getting back up, amen? Man. In fact, you know, some of you may say from time to time, you may say, you know, it just, it just feels like my prayers don't quite reach God, or, or even it feels like my worship doesn't quite reach God. It feels like sometimes where maybe it just kind of floats about three feet above the air and then just kind of comes crashing down or, or doesn't get up through the ceiling or maybe it bounces off a cloud or two. It just, it just feels like, you know what, that there's some hindrances. You know why? It may be because there are some hindrances. And so I looked scripturally. There's a few different ones that you can look to right away. In fact, they're on your outline. I put them in the box where it says worship hindrances. The first one that we wrote down there was unconfessed sin. Absolutely unconfessed sin will do that to us. It'll, it, it'll put a distance between us and God. It says if we confess our sins, though, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's good news. And yet some of you are beating yourself up because you're probably hearing that and you're saying, well, that can't cover my sin. No way. I mean, I mean, some of you haven't forgiven yourselves for some things that you've done. And yet if you're in that boat where you're saying that, you know, God can't accept me because of the sin that I've done then what you're basically saying is that, God, you're a liar, number one. And number two, that the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough for you, and so he's got to go back and do it a second time. And I just have to tell you, he's not going to do that. He went there once, and because of that sin that you committed, he went to the cross, he died, his blood was shed, and by that, you are forgiven. And let me read this verse again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Is that what it says? All unrighteousness. So whatever you have done, Jesus says, that can be covered over and forgiven. Now, let's be honest about this. Some of the things we do cause consequences here on earth. They, they do. Some of the things have larger consequences than others. Maybe some of the anger or some of the things that we've done have, have gotten us in big trouble with authorities and the law, whatever that may be. It's amazing that God can say, okay, you're still going to live out those consequences. I'm not going to change that. But between you and I, when Jesus' blood is shed for you, you can have total forgiveness. We can be back in relationship. And so if you come in here today and you feel like, man, I'm, my worship just isn't there, maybe... 
it's unconfessed sin that you need to get out and get that right. Let me give you one other. Perhaps it is a broken relationship. Again, that's scriptural. Matthew chapter 5, we see that. And it says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, this is very practical. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. For some of you, if you feel like, man, my, my prayers just aren't reaching heaven, or I don't feel like they are, or maybe my worship, I just, I just seem, can't seem to lock into worship and focusing on God, maybe before we worship here again, maybe after my prayer here, or maybe even if you want to slip out during my prayer, you can take your cell phone, and you can call, and you can say, hey, you know what? I just need to get this right. I know we haven't talked in a few months or maybe it's been a few years, but I need to ask you for forgiveness. Or maybe you've been unforgiving towards someone else and you need to say, I am forgiving you. Maybe you just leave a message and say, hey, when you get a moment, please call me back. I'd love to even take you out to lunch. My pastor's paying and I will. (laughs) And then you come. And then you continue to worship. Now, if you've got something like that in your life, scripturally, that can cause a break. That can cause a hindrance. That we don't worship God in all of our lives and we want to. In fact, if, if those hindrances are in your life, you, you don't operate with the fuel that God wants for you to live your Christian life in. It just kind of is a, is a bit of a malaise, just kind of one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. I was reminded of this several years ago when uh, at the Rose Bowl parade, some of you may have even been aware of this or, or seen about this, um, one of the floats in the Rose Bowl parade, most popular parade in the world really, runs out of gas, stops the parade for about 20 minutes, until someone's able to kind of stammer off with his gas can and, and fill up the car because the float just had not been filled up with, with gas. And so someone kind of takes this gas can and, and goes and gets some gas and pours it back into the float. The irony of this incident or that mishap was that the name that's emblazed across the side of the float written in roses was Exxon. <laughs> True story. You know, that's what living our Christian life, though, with, without the fuel, without, without Jesus a part of it, or, or some of these, these, these unconfessed sins and these broken relationships, is that we're trying to go, we're trying to move, we're trying to make things happen, but we're living in our own power instead of God's. And spiritually, God says, hey, let's get these things right, and then your worship will be so much more open in front of me. Worship. Worship happens through Jesus Christ. It's a continual offering. Let me give you the last thing that I wrote down on this outline. That's that worship is an offering of words and deeds. Not just words, not just something spoken, not just something sung, but it's your deeds as well. So let me read the whole verse now. Through him, that is Jesus, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So it's almost as though he's taking this and saying, okay, you profess it, you share it, you you, you do it with your lips, but let your life match up to that as well. You see that at the end? 
says, and, and do good. Share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And as we talk about this, this, this offering up of the fruit of the lips, can I just suggest that there is nothing like song to do that with? There is nothing like singing that even when you don't feel like that. Have you ever noticed that people who are in love um, just, just seem as though maybe they're bouncing or they're, they're humming or they're whistling some type of song? There's something about love and music that goes together. Well, our singing and worship is, is really a love song to God. That's what it is. And I just have to wonder if sometimes we come in here to the worship center and we begin to sing, and it's a little bit of, Jesus, name above all names. <laughs> wow, she's hot. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. Woo, oh, oh, oh. name above all names. And our focus goes on so many different things, and there's no excitement in there whatsoever. And I realize that God looks to the inside of our heart, which if outwardly, if you're doing it like that, he's really going to see the inward heart of where you're at. But of sensing that, you know, shouldn't there be some sort of excitement when you worship? In fact, this last 8 o'clock service, someone caught me before the service and said, "Now, now you just can't stand still when you're down here in the front. They said, I watched you in the back. You were talking to some people. You're able to stand still, but you, you can't stand still down there. I said, it's because I'm worshiping when I'm there. When, when I'm singing, when I'm, when I'm there in the front, I, I, yeah, music does that to me. In fact, Leslie Whitehead did such a marvelous job of singing here last week. If you see him worship during the week, he is all over the place when music and song comes on. He is just into that because song and worship does something like that to us. And so I just want to challenge you that, that you know what? If, if you're happy and you know what's in that song, if you're happy and you know it, then clap your hands, your face will surely show, whatever that is, which, you know, kids are some of the best at this. When they, they love to sing and they don't care who is listening to them when they sing. Pastor Mark could share this with you, that you go into children's worship and you talk to any five-year-old kid and you say, how many of you can sing well? It's like, ooh, 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 me, 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 me. But you ask a room full of adults, how many of you can sing well? Uh, no, not me. No, no, no. I mean, even when you can, we, we just kind of hide that. You know what it says in Psalm 147? It says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. It says, make melody to our God. That's what it says there. And, and so you can't say that you, 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 some of you say, well, I can't really do that. There is an emotion that is felt and feelings that are expressed that only come through music and singing to praise to God. And so I want to encourage you this week that even when you don't feel like doing it, Sing. You don't have to sing really loud. In fact, for some of us, it's better if we don't sing very loud. But still do it. Sing. Sing and share that. Sing. In fact, I can remember, it, was, it must have been 20, 25 years ago when we used to have Sunday night services here at First Baptist. And uh, I remember one older gentleman getting up on Sunday night service and singing a song that was so horrible outwardly, it made the dogs three blocks down howl. I kid you not. 
I still remember his name. I, he has passed on to glory now. God bless his soul. He was singing a song that was so horrible to everybody who heard it out here in the congregation. However, the angels that heard his song stood and applauded because his heart was so big. And in his mind, he was not like an 85-year-old person who do, could not sing and hit a note. In his mind, he was probably in his 20s, singing with all the vigor that he had and expressing his worship to God that when we heard that song out in the congregation, we looked right through what we heard and we saw it as well. And that is what I hope you are experiencing here with the people around you. That no matter how they sing or, or, or the energy or the loudness or off key that it may be, that it is a song given to God. And I hope that it is not just on Sunday mornings as well. I hope you are singing at home. I hope you are singing in the shower. I hope you are singing in your quiet times. I hope you are singing in your car. I don't care if someone looks at you next to him. Just give him a wave and just keep singing. All right? You just keep worshiping wherever you're at. Because that's how God receives that worship. It's matched not only with the words, though, but it's how we live as well. Sing, even when you don't feel like singing, offer him a song of praise in the good times, in the bad times, in the really bad times. In fact, let me share an illustration with you about this. Merle Womack, some of you might remember that name or recognize that name. He's a gospel singer. Uh, was flying a small plane when it crashed in an Oregon forest. And uh, Merle was horribly burned from the plane crash, survived, but the plane was completely destroyed, completely demolished, but Merle was able to scramble out of that plane. When he got out of the plane, he could not see anything, but he heard the sounds of the highway, and so he stumbled towards the highway. Two men who had been driving down the highway saw the plane go down, saw the big uh, um, flames that had erupted from the field, and now see this, this, this monstrous sort of figure come towards them because his whole face had been horribly charred and burned. In fact, his eyes were melted together. There were, there were no more holes where his nose had been. It just melted together. There was only a small slit where his mouth had been, because skin just melted together. They, they found him and dragged him and put him in the back of his car and drove him to a hospital. Now, as he was driving in the back of that car, though, strange thing happened. Merle said, I have no idea kind of where this came from, and I was in so much pain, but he said, this song came rushing to me instead of the cries of pain. And in the midst of his tragedy, he said, I began to sing. And he said, the surprise in the guys is, uh, who were up in the front seat, I'm sure they were incredibly surprised by this. But out of the crack in Merle's face, he began to sing these words, wonderful peace, wonderful peace, peace that the world cannot give. When I think of how he brought me from darkness to light, there's a wonderful, wonderful peace. You know, some of you entered in here today, scarred and burned, maybe not physically as Merle Womack was, but emotionally, relationally, maybe even spiritually. I think God's word 
encourages us in the midst of that to worship. In the midst of that to sing. In the midst of that saying, God, I may not feel like this right now, but I offer up my sacrifice of praise to you. And those words, when they're matched with our lives, become an incredible offering to God. In fact, in just a bit, we're going to sing the song, Heart of Worship. I just want to tell you a little bit about that song. It was a song written by Matt Redman a number of years ago. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And it's a song that um, he wrote in his bedroom because the pastor at the church felt like the people in their congregation had lost their focus of worship. And so what they did is they actually took, away from all, the mi- they took all the mics away. And they actually took away all the instruments. And they just had the people come, sing a cappella, and begin to worship within their own hearts. And as you sing the words, you'll see kind of those, those thoughts of, of more than a song I bring you now. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. So my prayer would be today as you sing that, as we are led in here by Pastor Stephen into our praise team, that you would read right through those words and that your worship would not be about a song, your worship would not be about a sound system, your worship would not be about the aesthetics of the room around you, but your worship would be focused upon Jesus because it's through Jesus that we get to God the Father and our worship is offered up. And then this time then that we share together becomes our living it out in the world. And those two fitting together is really what worship, is really what worship is about.